So we'd always been interested in alternative living styles, um, all kinds of different, you know, living situations. I think I was just looking for ideas. Or she was like, why don't we just do the school bus now? When we started building the bus, we actually built it with the plan to live in it in a more stationary lifestyle. But as we were building, you know, following other people on Instagram, we just got inspired and didn't want to continue the stationary lifestyle for now and decided to travel with our kids. Now we are always able to explore. We are so excited to have Deliberate Life Bus as our first guest on season four, Families on the Road. These guys have been traveling for about a year and a half in their 40-foot Thomas school bus. They built it out themselves over the course of a couple years, really thinking about every square inch of the space and learning each step of the process. They've done an incredible job with their school bus, including a roof raise, which gives them really spacious feeling inside their bus. Everything is really homey, and Adam and Elizabeth, just like their name suggests, are very deliberate with their lifestyle, their intentions, and how they go about their days. So this was a really conscious decision for them, and they clearly are thriving through the lifestyle that they live now. They test gear for different websites, keeping them and their families outdoors all the time. They're avid rock climbers, so they will typically host up for a couple weeks at a time in places around the country that offer fantastic rock climbing opportunities. And they have two wonderful girls that are learning so much from being on the road and engaging with different people that offer just a unique perspective on life. So really hope you enjoy this episode and let's drop into the show. Okay, so we are at the Colorado Tiny House Festival today. We have Deliberate Life Bus with us, and these guys are a family of four, and they are traveling in a school bus across the country. They left eight months ago, and I'll introduce Adam and Elizabeth. Hey, guys. Hello. How's it going? How's uh, how's it feel to be in Colorado? Feels good. We yeah. actually lived here for four years, so we're pretty excited to get back and go back up into the mountains in a few days. Where are you heading? Estes Park. Our oldest daughter was born in Estes, um, 2010. So 2010, so your oldest daughter is nine years old? Yep. And her name is? Sadie. Sadie. Sadie's in the background with us. And your youngest daughter? It's Ren. And she is? How old are you, Ren? She's She's six years old. <laughs> awesome. And so... We met these guys a couple days ago, and if you check out their Instagram handle, Deliberate Life Bus, I was drawn in by a photo of these two daughters, a six and nine-year-old, belaying each other on a rock climbing cliff, which it just seemed outrageous to me. But when you dive a bit deeper and read um, the messaging in there, I don't know who does the writing if you share it. Primarily, I write most of it, but we share the Instagram account and back and forth. Sure. I, I think, uh, you know, when, when I follow a lot of parents who are doing interesting things, uh, that's what I try and, you know, if, if somebody's willing to take the time and write about the moment, that's where the inspiration comes from me. You know, it's it's one thing to grab an interesting photo. I mean, you could have just thrown them up there and changed the harness and this and that, but 
you know, you really talk about trust and, and, and risk and what that means. And I think, um, you know, I'd love to talk about that today and why you chose to get into moving a, into a bus and what it's done for your kids ever since. So um, you guys have been rock climbers for a long time. Is that is that something that's been a big part of your family adventure? Yeah. Um, I started climbing in 2001. Um, took a, a summer job working the concessions in Yosemite Valley actually so that was an easy place to kind of get into the world of rock climbing um, but then when we had kids um, it was a matter of um, wanting to make sure that we feel uh, fulfilled as parents I guess and to bring our kids along and to share in the adventure with them we didn't want to um, so many people when they have kids it's it's like okay so let's put the next 20 years on hold or whatever and I wasn't you know us as parents weren't willing to put our life on hold to kind of go towards the the quote-unquote normal life and get jobs and all that stuff and uh, I mean not like we don't have jobs <laughs> but you know what I mean we wanted to um, we tailored our life to fit our our passions I guess and what was that how did that feel in the moment so if you can go back maybe nine years when you're you know you had the first and you were realizing that life had changed um, and you had to work a bit harder to define this lifestyle that you wanted what did that feel like with family and friends what did it feel like for yourself if you can take us back to like why you wanted to live this way I think that's really helpful because when uh, a few years ago when we were trying to figure this out for ourselves I felt really hard yeah it was really hard when the kids were little you know we started hiking with them you know when they were a week old or so you know that was pretty pretty early on and we were backpacking with them you know when they were a couple months old you know taking the mountain camping and hiking into the woods and the mountains and sometimes it was miserable <laughs> there's definitely you know lots of you know crying involved because you know they're struggling to sleep in a tent and I think that's something that parents struggle with they will sometimes go out take their kids camping and realize it's really hard to get your toddler to sleep in a totally new location um, where they have very little boundaries where you know at home maybe you've got your kid in a, a crib and you take them out and suddenly they have free reign of the tent and they just want to crawl around all night long and don't not go to sleep um, so we've had some really bad camping trips but you know, what we try to encourage other people to do is just like push through that you know, like there's going to be suffering um, and it's just because they're suffering with kids no matter where you are. You know, even if you're at home, there's going to be crying. There's going to be, you know, difficulties. But the important thing is just to keep doing it um, because that helps the kids get used to this new environment and it becomes something that they're comfortable with. And, you know, over the years, it didn't really even take all that long. Our kids got to the point where sleeping in a tent was just like sleeping at home in their beds or in their cribs and... You know, putting them to bed in a tent was just as simple as putting them to bed at home. Yeah, I remember the same struggles. We we were just doing it with one. I think our kids are similar age spread about three years. And uh, we did the same thing with Alfonso. And we had friends who would do the weekend trip and uh, turn around and say, I will n never do that again. You know, <laughs> yeah. or like, I'm going to come back when my kids are older kind of thing. Yeah. And what happens is you come back when your kids are older and they haven't camped in, you know, six years and suddenly they can't camp unless you bring the iPad so they can you know, have something to do. And that's just crazy because there's so much to do. Kids that have been raised playing outside never need any kind of entertainment because there's everything they can do. They can you can just say, all right, we're here. You can play and they'll run around. They'll build fairy houses. They'll, you know, you know, collect cool rocks or whatever it is that they're interested in at the time, but there's really no need for entertainment. 
Yeah, they'll explore like the the surrounding campsite and kind of come up with their own names for the the different little like mountain features or rock features that are around. You know, they'll come up with their own little land or something like that. So that's awesome. So clearly, you guys have been leading this lifestyle for a while. You mentioned that eight months ago you had moved into the school bus. Can you talk to us a little bit about the process in? Um, when you decided that a school bus would be the right direction for you and, and how that all came about? Yeah, so when we started building the bus, we actually built it with the plan to live in it in a more stationary lifestyle, to buy a piece of land, you know, live in our school bus and have the ability to move. But as we were building, you know, following other people on Instagram who, you know, we saw other families traveling with their kids and all the things they were, you know, able to do, we just got inspired and didn't want to continue the stationary lifestyle for now and decided to, you know, uproot and travel with our kids. And what we really like is that it's allowing us to do more activities outdoors with them. Um, back when we were in our regular jobs, you know, we had we had our vacations. We had a pretty good amount of vacation um, time each year, but we didn't have the money to really go the places we wanted to go. So every other year we budgeted a big trip. And every other year we'd take two weeks to go somewhere really cool and iconic in the country and spend that time, you know, exploring deep into the canyons or, you know, climbing in Yosemite or, you know, doing something really amazing. But now that we're on the road, we are exploring those iconic places all the time and having even more time to you know, teach our kids about the areas. We do a lot of junior ranger programs. Those are awesome for, you know, learning about science and history and geology, um, and then to also taking care of the world. We love that most junior ranger programs incorporate picking up trash and you know, conservation education as well. But this is just now we are always able to explore. And of course, we take time to work. You know, we aren't exploring every day. If we go to Joshua Tree for a month, we might spend half the time at the bus, you know, doing work. And we've got normal chores like laundry. You've got to fill up the water in the bus. But half the time is also spent outdoors. Awesome. And... Can you tell me a little bit about those trips uh, a couple of years ago? So you said that you would save up every couple of years for, for this big adventure. I, th I think that's a really awesome way for, you know, somebody who is living that normal lifestyle to, to get a taste of what this is like. Can you tell me a little bit about, you know, were you driving across the country to go to some of these destinations? I'm sure that was challenging challenging with uh, a couple little kids and then getting there, you know, a lot of people would just say, you know what, that's too hard, or I'm going to fly or, you know, what inspired you to travel overland to, to these destinations? Or if you did, maybe, maybe you didn't do it. I specifically remember one we did when Ren was a baby. So Sadie was about three and Ren was about six months old and we, uh, we flew. So the reason we had to save up for these big trips was the airplane flight. I mean, we camped the whole time on every trip, so it wasn't like we were having a lot of expenses when we got there, but flying with four people is uh, pretty pricey. And just the airplane flight was really difficult, uh, getting ourselves out to Idaho. We went to City of Rocks um, and took our two kids, and we spent, what, two weeks? Yeah, two weeks. Two weeks out there camping, hanging out at camp, doing a little bit of climbing, not as much as we had planned, um, but, you know, stuff like that comes up with kids. And... You're just living out there with a baby and a toddler, you know, in a tent was awesome, but it cost a lot to buy the plane tickets. So tell me about how the decision came about to buy the bus and then the transition into maybe a more freelance style lifestyle. 
maybe for you, Adam, or both of you, like, what was it like to give up secure jobs and income and secure community and go for something that felt more true for yourselves? Um, so just, okay. So the, the idea for the bus kind of came, um, we'd always been interested in alternative living styles. Um, we looked at yurts for a long time. Um, tiny houses were, you know, on our radar, but not, I don't think they were at the top of our list. Um, we thought about container homes, cob houses, um, all kinds of different, you know, living situations. Um, Elizabeth had always kind of talked about when she retired, she wanted to convert a school bus and travel the country. Um, and then, uh, I think I was looking at schoolie.net, which is just like a kind of a clunky website for, um, you know, it's a forum for building school bus conversions. I think I was just looking for ideas or, you know, um, ways to build small and looking for ideas in that schoolie community. And there was, you know, after a couple of weeks of seeing that website and Elizabeth kind of seeing that on the, on the radar, she was like, well, why don't we just do the school bus now, you know? And so I was all, all in. And uh, so I think it was, how long did it take for us to go purchase one? I think we were waiting for a tax refund to come back. So Adam spent some time looking over Craigslist, trying to find the specific bus he wanted with a couple different engines and transmissions he liked. And as soon as the tax refund came back, or maybe even before it did, because it was in February, um, we bought Adam a one-way plane ticket to New Mexico. He flew out, bought the bus. Almost 2,000 miles from home. And then uh, just drove straight back to North Carolina. And uh, how did that feel the moment you handed the cash over and stepped into the rig for the first time? Uh, pretty scary, intimidating, um, but also very exciting. Um, you know, a 1,700-mile trip. Um, it was a definitely an adventure of a lifetime. I think there was um, a lot of people thinking, wow, this is real. They're really, they're really doing this. Um, some good friends of mine, you know, I think that this level of commitment towards something actually impressed them. Whereas, you know, a lot of people would think I was, you know, we were completely crazy. My parents thought we were completely crazy. <laughs> you know what? And they've come around because they've seen how happy we are out here doing this. So. Absolutely. And I think that's uh, that's exactly why I wanted to sit down and interview you guys, because, you know, the parents that are seem to be leading the lifestyle they want to live, you can just see that they're happy and they're not settling. And, and that's what rewilding parenthood is all about. It's not moving into a school bus and traveling the country. You know, for you guys, that's making you happy and that's what you want to do. And that's awesome. But if you're out there listening, if you want to do that, go for it. If you don't and you want to do something else, that's great too. Like, don't just do this and think it's going to bring you fulfillment. Right. Yeah. A lot of times people get into this because they want to live, you know, uh, the schooly life, for instance. And then, or like, you know, have that cool Instagram life that you see. That's and right. It's not just that. No, there's a lot of work, there's a lot of stress, there's a lot of stuff like that going on. Um, we also you know, found that we didn't feel much support from most parents um, you know, in our community. A lot of times we didn't feel super connected to other 
families, you know, in our local community, even though they were wonderful and great and we enjoyed spending time with them because they didn't seem to understand our priorities. And so, you know, when we'd have these discussions about what we were about to do, you know, we got lots of questions about, you know, you're going to take your kids away from their friends or you're going to, you're not going to have a house like security, you know, all those financial questions and like, you know, is this good for the kids? And we still get those kinds of questions from some people. Yeah. A lot of people kind of uh, make us feel like we're being selfish. And, and so in, in the midst, as you took this huge committing step, you, you bought the bus, you drove it across the country. Now you have this enormous project to take on in the midst of working and putting your kids in school and everything else that everybody else has to do. Now you're building this dream and you're facing these questions. What was that? Like, what did it feel like? Did it give you inspiration to keep going or did you actually feel like beaten down and doubt that you, this was actually the right decision? I don't think we ever doubted it was the right decision, but we definitely felt beaten down by the work required for the build. I don't think either of us felt beaten down by anybody else's opinions, though. That was you know, something we were pretty secure in. Like, we felt really good about what we were about to do. We didn't know we were going to be successful. Um, you know, we still don't know how long we'll be successful you know, traveling full time. But I don't think we ever doubted the decision. Yeah, exactly. Now, yeah, the build was two and a half years. We did a 14-inch roof raise. It's a 40-foot bus. We have tons of solar. We have tons of water. We have tons of systems. So, like, building this bus was no easy task. Um, you know, a lot of houses don't have solar. Just... I don't know. Every component that this bus has, a standard house has, and this house ha- or this house has, you know, sometimes more components than a standard house. So as far as building, it wasn't just um, a simple project. It was pretty involved, a ton of research, and definitely very tiring. So um, yeah, the work definitely beat me down <laughs> for sure. I was definitely burned out when it was time to hit the road. And can you give us, uh, for our listeners, a visual description of the outside? inside you know type of bus and then you know just a quick overview of some of the features that that you have here yeah especially after spending two days talking to uh, thousands of people i've got got the uh, the spiel down <laughs> so it's a 1994 uh thomas safety liner flat nose rear engine bus it is uh, 39 feet long we have a 13 inch roof raise so b- between the roof raise and the tule box we have on top which we call our attic um, the bus is about 13 feet, six inches high. Um, it's purple and white, although some people think it's gray. I'm pretty sure it's purple. Um, <laughs> it's definitely purple. <laughs> um, we call it smoky purple. It took us a long time to agree on a color for the exterior. I mean, our refrigerator was covered with uh, paint samples for a long, long time. Um, then the interior, you come in and you pass the driver's seat. You've got two couches facing each other on either side of the bus. We put up TV trays between those for eating dinner. Um, you walk into the kitchen, which takes up about a third of our entire 40-foot bus. Uh, we really dedicated a lot of space to it. It's probably the nicest kitchen we've ever had. Um, you have full household gas range and oven, um, refrigerator, big double basin sink. It's a it's a pretty spacious kitchen for a tiny house, but we do a lot of cooking and like to feel comfortable living here because this is our home home. Uh, we don't see this as like a temporary travel home. We see this as a permanent house. Uh, we also have a wood stove in our bus, which we love. One of the best decisions we made. It puts out a ton of heat and it's actually our only heat source. We moved in thinking we might need to get something like a little, you know, Mr. Buddy propane heater or something like that, but haven't needed it throughout the winter. Then you walk further back through the kitchen and you come to the hallway, which has the kids' bunks on one side and the bathroom on the other with a shower and a composting toilet. 
I've decided it's my mission to educate people that composting toilets don't compost anything. Compost takes at least six months in, under ideal conditions, so I don't think people should be dumping their compost outdoors. We've heard a lot of travelers say that that's what they do with it, or dumping their solids, but it really needs to be either actually composted or put in a trash location, because it's just human waste and toilet paper and dirt mixed together. Um, sorry, that was my little uh, educational moment. And then beyond the kids' beds, we've got two closets, one on either side of the bus, and then our bed, which sits up really high. Um, underneath our bed, we have a good like four feet high of uh, storage for our freshwater tanks and all of our backpacking gear, our sleeping bags, our rock climbing gear, any outdoor gear lives under that bed pretty much. Amazing. Yeah, the bus is incredible. It's definitely one of my favorites I've seen so far and, and definitely one of my favorites at the festival. Festival. It feels really homey. I don't know if you had the wood stove going yesterday morning. It was it was snowing in the hills of Colorado. I think they got like over a foot, 18 inches up high. Um, it was raining here, and and at least our neighbors had the wood stove going. I think they have a similar stove, and it just felt do, yeah. really really nice. And and so how about some more of the detail on the systems, like how much fresh water, or solar, gray water, all that kind of stuff. So we've got um, 92 gallons of fresh water under our uh, bed and then every time we fill up our uh, fresh tanks we also fill up about 10 gallons worth of um, you know blue jugs uh, to top it off um, so basically we carry about 100 gallons of fresh water we have a 100 gallon gray water tank um, so that lasts us about a week and a half or so before you know and then it's time to go move and dump and fill um, and that that actually works about good so we can you know set up for a week and a half to two weeks you have most BLM has a 14 day stay limit. So we, you know, that's time to move anyway. As far as solar goes, um, we've got 1500 watts of solar on the roof. Um, we use, you know, household uh, residential solar panels. Uh, we have six 250s, so six 250 watt panels. So 1500 watts of solar on the roof. Um, and we have 620 amp hours at 24 volts worth of battery storage. So we have 855 amp hour, 12 volt batteries. So lots of storage. Um, our fridge runs on 110, so we have a dedicated, um, our inverter runs full-time to be able to power the fridge. Um, so for uh, cooking and hot water, we use propane. So we've got a normal uh, apartment size range that we use, that we've converted to LP. And our hot water is an on-demand tank, or on-demand hot water heater that uses propane. Um, in terms of, of systems and anybody considering a bus build, is there anything that you are ecstatic about or anything that you wish you did differently? I'd say we're pretty ecstatic about our ability to boondock um, without needing any plugins for water or plugins for electricity or anything. Um, we can camp for free and we can camp you know, away from cities and be kind of out there in you know, the more open lands, which is really, you know, where we'd like to be, where we feel most comfortable. And, you know, some families I know, they, they travel on a bus and that's their rig that they have to roll around town. And that's kind of like us, but you guys have a vehicle as well. So that gives you the flexibility, like pulling an Airstream or a tiny home. So that way you could leave the bus in the backcountry and run into town if you needed it or to the climbing wall or something like that. Was that a deliberate choice, and are you happy towing a vehicle? Is it worth it for you? So we don't actually tow the vehicle. Oh, we, sorry. That's sorry. okay. That's what a lot of people uh, kind of expect. Um, so our, our style of travel is actually, you know, especially compared to these tiny houses around, we travel really slow. 
you know, we travel, uh, but we try not to move very quick. We're not in a van. You know, it's not van life. This is, you know, bus life. So we go to a campsite, set up for a week and a half to two weeks, depending. And then we use our car to kind of go, go to town, go to the crag, go to the trailhead, stuff like that. And then, you know, we have our, our bus and we only move it, you know, a couple times a month or whatever. And that's worked out really well for us. And between campsites, so like we might go after this campsite, we might drive a few hours. And so, you know, I might have to go to Dump and Fill after this. So I'll go to Dump and Fill in the bus and Elizabeth and the kids will go to, you know, maybe they'll do laundry and then meet me at the campsite and uh, at the next campsite. And they can kind of take the car in and say, okay, yeah, he can make the bus can make it back to this site. So they can kind of scope out the campsites. Um, Yeah. And it's not necessarily for everybody. The two separate vehicles we have people, you know, we've met other people who do it too and are just like not loving it because then one person has all the responsibility for the bus and one person has all the responsibility for the kids and it takes extra gas because you're driving two vehicles but it's really worked well for us we i really like it i kind of enjoy our travel days you know when the kids and i are in the car and we're you know either you know working on some homeschool or listening to harry potter audiobooks um they're kind of nice days. And then Adam, I know, also enjoys it because he's got alone time in the bus. He can listen to his podcast and just sort of have some, you know, quiet time of his own, which is very treasured when you live tiny and you're with your kids full time. I think driving is one of my favorite pastimes of bus life. Yeah. Uh, late in the night from like eight to midnight. That's like my magic, my magic hours for, for driving when everybody's asleep in the back. Um you, Elizabeth, you just mentioned homeschool. So can you talk to us a little bit about that and what does that look like for your family? Yeah, um, you know, homeschool is something that we're new to. We had our kids in public school until we you know, took off on the road eight months ago. And, you know, we enjoyed their public school. We, we wished there was more outside time. We wish there was more, you know, free time for them to learn and explore in different ways. Um, but we thought they were at a really great school. So when we started traveling, uh, I had been working full time before we left. And then any free time was spent either on the bus or, you know, on household stuff. So I was pretty tied up time wise and didn't have time to really research much homeschool. So we decided this first year was just sort of going to be like a learning year. You know, we're learning how to homeschool our kids. Our kids are learning how to learn in a different way than they're used to. And so we've tried out a bunch of different things. I mentioned Junior Ranger Program. That's a big part of our homeschool. Um, We definitely want our kids to learn a lot about the natural world, um, but also about, you know, how to love and take care of it. So that's a big part of how we educate our kids. But then we also, you know, we'll sit down and do workbooks. You know, we'll do math workbooks. Um, I'll put together, you know, some math word problems for the kids. You know, usually I try to incorporate things that are, you know, part of our lives. So, you know, instead of like Sarah takes the train from Boston to Texas and it takes this many hours, you know, we'll, we'll do things like Sadie is climbing, you know, six pitches and she has a 150 foot rope. Uh, how often does she have to set an anchor and, you know, something like that, which, you know, it's just kind of fun. So she gets the math, but it you know, relates to her regular life. Um, and then, Fortunately, both our kids just love reading and they will sometimes will be working and suddenly discover that they're sitting quietly in their bed, you know, reading books, just sitting next to each other. And so that's, you know, really important with any education. Reading is kind of the key. And do you think it was helpful to have your kids in a traditional learning environment before taking off on the bus instead of just diving right into homeschool? Did that help you guys or hurt you guys or the girls? It's hard to say, like, how that affects them. I mean, 
because I don't know how typical homeschool. I mean, I think there is no typical homeschool. Everyone does it their own way. Some people are really rigid with certain hours of the day and they have, you know, really strict curriculums and that works well for them. Some people are on the total opposite end of the spectrum where they don't actually actively try to teach their kids anything. They let their kids learn by just exploring their interests. And I'd say we're in the middle. We do a little bit of all of it. But I do think our oldest, Sadie, by going to school from, you know, from preschool and up through second grade, where I guess she started third this year in uh, public schools, she definitely had a desire to learn, you know. So if we had homeschooled her from the beginning, that desire may have looked a lot different. So I feel like it's very possible that starting them off in the public school with a bunch of kids around did help them but i it's really hard to say i guess to what extent yeah sure you never know until you just never know it's parenting you, you just do the best you can and and then your kids tell you later what they uh what you did wrong yeah exactly <laughs> i i think my childhood was great but i know my you know i'm not even gonna go there <laughs> um so you're talking about reading. I couldn't help but notice some of the books you have on the wall here. We've got uh, Light in the Attic, Shel Silverstein, The Tao Te Ching. We've got some Raw Dolls, Beginner Spanish. Um, yeah, there's some, you guys seem to have covered the gamut here. <laughs> yeah, we had a pretty big library before we moved into the bus, and that was a really hard thing to downsize. Uh, we actually spent probably four or five years downsizing our life, and that was before we even decided to do the bus. So we were just trying to minimize our things and how much stuff we had that just kind of cluttered up our lives. So it was, a, I'd say, a five-year project downsizing our library. And it is hard not having certain books around anymore. But, you know, we've also found that we can just go to the thrift store, pick up some new books whenever we need something new, and then we can pass our books along to other people. You know, as Ren has progressed in her reading, when she decides she's done with certain books, uh, we'll pass them along to other families that have younger kids. One cool project that I think we're going to do in the next, you know, next season or something is we're going to put a, a one of those tiny libraries. What do you call them? Like a Oh, the little free libraries. Yeah, we're going to build one into the side of the bus. That's and awesome. The, and it'll have the plexiglass window and so, you know, and maybe I don't know. You'll probably paint it with the typical we'll Paint it all cute, make it look like a little free library. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So so yeah, so books are important to us. The rolling library. You might have to change your Instagram handle. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, books are like, they've always been really important to me, you know, ever since I can remember. I either had my parents reading to me at bedtime or I was reading at bedtime. So I still every single night read as I go to bed. And it's, you know, become a habit that we've instilled in our kids, too. We always read to them at bed. And now that they're reading, some nights I'll still read to them and some nights they'll just go read on their own in bed. Great. And so before you mentioned, well, you two may be doing some work, they might be reading on their own. But what is what is a work day look like for you both? And I know that could be, you know, a multitude of things. But how, how do you how do you make this work financially? And, and what keeps you busy on the road? Well, just to be transparent, we aren't quite making it work financially yet. Um, you know, we we tried to be really responsible with this decision and do it very deliberately, if you will. So you know, we set ourselves up to be successful on the road by building our bus as we could afford it. So we didn't go into this with any type of debt or loans or whatever. Um, everything was completely paid for on the bus when we left. And then we also prepared ourselves knowing that we would sell our house. So we sold our house and you know we're setting aside about half of the money we made from that to be potential future down payments or you know buying a plot of land or whatever we decide to do in the future. And then the other half is sort of there for us to 
draw from as we get going on our road income. I'd say we're right now at about 75% of what we need to be earning. Um, so work days are kind of all over the place. Um, my work is mostly done on the computer. I've got a part-time customer service job that I work remotely from the road, which is really nice. It's about 10 hours a week. Um, I also have some volunteer work that I do for Outdoor Women's Alliance, which is not bringing in any income, but it is part of my work and something I commit some of my time to. Also done remotely and mostly computer and phone based. So I'll typically, I'll set up in the living room. Um, sometimes I do it after the kids are in bed. Uh, sometimes I'll you know, need to put in more hours in a day and I'll you know take the computer back to the bedroom and I'll work back there if I need to focus. And then Adam's days of work. So I make minimalist sports sandals um, with, you know, vibrant materials and retired rock climbing slings for the straps. And all of my sandals also are uh, custom foot shapes. So you can't just like order a size. Um, you can go on our website and basically trace your foot and then give us a message. And I can give you an address to the location that we're at at the moment. You send those to me and then I'll make a custom sandal. And I've got all kinds of different sling options because, you know, the variety of straps or, uh, you know, slings that climbers use is pretty diverse. So the sandals are often, you know, pretty diverse. Um, so anyway, I can, uh, I can glue the sandals up in the bus and I, you know, all the construction gets done here on the bus or outside. But that's pretty nice because I can hang out with the kids and kind of do my work at the same time. So it's not like I have to be fully focused and, you know, um, immersed in what I'm doing. I can kind of I can still be present with the kids while I do that. Cool. And uh, if you haven't seen the sandals, you should definitely check them out. I, I put on a sample pair the other day and Adam told me how he ran a 50 mile, 50 50K, 50K <laughs> uh, mountain uh, run in these. And, and I was just really impressed. And, and they, they are super comfortable so definitely check them out if you're looking for a minimalist sandal or something something different and that we're at uh on instagram we're deliberate life designs for the sandals i forgot to mention we also both have one other contract jobs that we pick up so we got hooked up with this company called outdoor gear lab that does has really thorough outdoor gear review website and so we both do occasional contract jobs for them reviewing outdoor gear which is super fun so that means for the first couple months we were on the bus, Adam's work looked like all of us going climbing. Um, we were reviewing, he was reviewing um, kids climbing harnesses and kids climbing shoes. So we would just take the family, we'd go climbing, you know, we'd talk to the kids about, you know, what did you like about this harness? How's, how was it comfortable when you were hanging? Was it comfortable when you're climbing? What's it like when you're scrambling around the rocks and you're just observing like, you know, are they like pulling up the leg loops or it's pinching on them and they're messing with it. So work days were climbing days. Um, and that was pretty cool. So we both do a little bit of that as the contract jobs come up. Cool. And Elizabeth, I like how you thank you for being transparent about, um, you know, what it takes to get started on the road. You know, Sophie and I were in the same position. I mean, the first few months, it was, I was pulling my hair out thinking, oh, my God, like, how am I how am I going to afford this? Because I have no time to work anymore. I'm so busy doing what it takes to live on the road. And I'm a full-time dad now. How, how can I ever make a promise to a client? that I'm going to do something. And we, we found our rhythm now, but you know, if we didn't have income coming off of our houses from Maine, it would be really difficult to weather this. And so I think, you know, I talked about this yesterday at the tiny house um, on the stage was, you know, setting aside some money or having some sort of residual income 
to weather those first, you know, two, four, eight months, a year until you figure out your rhythm and, and what you're capable of doing, what you're actually spending, what you can cut out and, and how to really make it work for yourselves financially. Yeah, I think that's something that a lot of people just don't share a lot about. We've met a lot of people on the road and I feel like sometimes people are hesitant to say like, we're not making enough money, but I think that's okay, you know. As long as you're setting yourself up for success or the right expectations, if you're only planning to travel for a year, you know, have the money for that. If you're planning to do this long term, you know, be ready to kind of, like you said, weather that storm and kind of slowly build up your income sources to make sure that you can continue doing what you want to do while still making enough money to be you know, financially stable with your family. Yeah, because, it, you know, it just turns into the same scenario that you would be at home. You're, it's just even more stressful. You're just driving around. You have all these, you know, added stresses of where you're going to sleep that night and, uh, you know, getting the supplies you need. And then, you know, I didn't have time to put the hours in to do the work I need to do. And, you know, I certainly felt like that a lot. And it, it really stressed me out to, to begin with. And, and I've learned to slow down and just kind of trust the process and, you know, engage in the right projects and know like things are going to work out. But um, yeah, it was, I was definitely stressed to begin the journey. It can be kind of weird. I mean, I think it stressed me out more in the beginning as well. I think I've gotten a little bit better. I don't know, Adam might disagree. But um <laughs> You know, now I find myself like we're on a travel day and I know I've got a phone call at, you know, 4 p.m. We haven't reached our campsite, you know, around 3 p.m. I start, you know, looking, watching the cell phone signal on my phone, you know, making sure we're still good. I'll stop about 30 minutes ahead of time to make sure I've got my cell service and my computer all set up. And I'll sit on the side of the highway with the kids in the backseat taking a conference call. And so it's not always like the ideal locations or the ideal, you know, set up in your nice, like, calm office, but we make it work. Absolutely. I mean, I was outside here in the pouring rain at 1030 at night under the pavilion trying to upload the podcast the other day. And, you know, Chris, our neighbor had great Wi-Fi signal and I couldn't get anything off my phone while we're here. And we're 30 miles from Denver, you know, and it's amazing, you know, how spotty the, the Internet can be for, for the type of digital work that a lot of us have. Yeah, for me, I would say that just being out and actually having that break between normal society, I guess, if you will, uh, has allowed me to embrace the things that we're passionate about. And I feel like that we're, we're following our passions. And that is, it helps to take a lot of the stress off. Um, I was always afraid to commit to being an entrepreneur. Um, but now, like stepping out and, you know, a little bit out of my comfort zone and being out here on the road, everything feels totally right. Like it feels like we're doing the right thing. Um, and then if you put that kind of attitude forward, I think it attracts other people and more and more opportunities are arising for us. So, you know, while we may not be uh, 100% yet with our income, we are growing it and, you know, things are doors are opening all the time. I think we're pretty comfortable not being 100% with our income. We're not getting, you know, we're not drawing too much out of our savings and we're not getting close to the end of it. So that's giving us the flexibility and the comfort to just, you know, put it out there that we're looking for that right opportunity for our like last income source. I feel like we need one more income source um, to be comfortable with where we are making as much money as we're spending, basically. Um, we're not looking to get rich out here. We're just wanting to make as much money as we're spending and live our lives and ho the right opportunity will come along and we're comfortable enough now that we can wait for it. We are rich. 
<laughs> Absolutely. And yeah, let's, you know, let's not let all this financial talk get in the way of what you said to begin with. You know, you, what your parents said, they, they, they were a little uh, judgmental at first, but they saw how happy you were, mm-hmm. you know, six months into this trip and they're fully supportive now. And I'm sure your friends and your community see that as well. And we certainly saw that. I mean, the Channel 3 News was in here yesterday morning interviewing you guys. You've had a line out the door all weekend long. <laughs> and I'm sure a lot of people are walking away inspired at what you're doing for your kids and and how you're how you're making it work you know and and you know it's definitely hard but you're an inspiration so thanks for thanks for sharing i just hope that we can inspire other people because we were inspired by so many people who were traveling with their kids and you know i i hope that we can help other people that might be feeling trapped or like they can't do something that they want to do certainly there's so many people who are so happy you know living in a stationary neighborhood and having that you know stationary community that they just love and that job that they love so we're not trying to you know tell people that that's not wonderful, but we're, we're almost envious of that. You yeah, know, totally. Of that, of <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. You know? Yeah. But, you know, any for anybody who is feeling you know trapped or like they aren't being aren't able to do as much of what they love because they've got kids now or, you know, they can't travel as much as they want because of whatever their whatever their situation, we hope that we can inspire other people to know that they can do more. They just have to you know, make those deliberate choices and you know, build up to what they want and make it happen for them. I think that's great advice. And I think we're we're just about coming to the end of our interview here. Is there anything else that you'd like to add? Uh, no, as far as building the bus, if this is something that you guys are uh, working towards, um, don't put a, a, a short deadline on your project. That's just going to add so much more stress. Building a bus is not an easy project. So make it as easy on you on yourself as possible by setting loose deadlines and trying to stick to them but not don't have a deadline like my lease runs out in january and i have to be done like that that's just like a recipe for disaster absolutely we we did that and uh, <laughs> and well, then, a lot of people do and it, it helps them get motivated but also we, a lot of people do and we see them you know we see them fail and we see them be really disappointed because they had to sell the bus because they weren't able to you know whatever it is um, we think if if you can give yourself less deadline, it can be a little bit more pleasant experience. And uh, you know, if you get into it, and even if you don't have a deadline and you're super stressed or whatever, um, our motto was that there ain't nothing to it but to do it. You know, sometimes you just got to get out there and and just do it. So a lot of times that was kind of the motto. Yeah, ain't nothing to it but to do it. I love it. And uh, all right, I think we'll we'll wrap it up there. Where can we find you online? You can find us in all kinds of places online. Um, we are on Instagram at Deliberate Life Bus. Uh, Adam Sandals are on Instagram at Deliberate Life Designs. We have a website, DeliberateLifeAdventure.com. Uh, That's got our blog for the, you know, some bus build stuff and some sandal stuff as well. We slightly have a YouTube channel. <laughs> yeah. It's new. It's We're just kind of playing around with it. Yeah, I'm not going to be posting like, you know, three times a week. But, you know, when we're inspired and when we create a video, it'll be put out. And so. And that's at, uh, on YouTube at Deliberate Life Adventure. Great. Well, thank you so much, Adam and Elizabeth. Uh, we can't wait to put this episode out there. And um, we wish you the best of luck on your journeys ahead. Thank you. Thank you. So we recorded this episode earlier this summer, the first moment that we met Adam and Elizabeth and Sadie and Wren at the Colorado Tiny House Festival. 
We've since caught up with these guys a bunch of times, most recently in Joshua Tree, California, and they are now making their way back east. So if you see them on the road, make sure you give them a holler, give them a big toot on your horn. Love to see you guys. I believe they're heading to New England for the summer, uh, depending on what's happening with this coronavirus epidemic. And, you know, in this first season, I just also wanted to uh, make sure you're all aware and, and consider, you know, families like these that are choosing to live on the road and, you know, in a time like this, really need somewhere to go. So, you know, you can go from BLM land to BLM land and, you know, what have you, but there are families like ours or theirs that, you know, got to stock up at the local grocery store that in these small towns. And I just want to make sure that you all are considering them in the wild times that we live in. But at the same token, if you check out Adam and Elizabeth's um, Instagram feed, you can see how their off-grid mentality and their setup gives them a lot to be grateful for. You know, having a wood stove and a bus, having, you know, all the power they need from their solar panels. And, you know, really the only limiting factor is food and water. So, yeah, a lot to be said for being mobile and having a house that can move and also a lot of considerations when a moment like this happens. So, yeah, check, make sure you check these guys out on Instagram. They're super active at Deliberate Life Bus. You can also, if you're curious in Adam's uh, sandals, check those out at Deliberate Life Designs. And what else can I say? Yeah, great family. Catch up with them. Make sure you subscribe to their channels. And I'll give you a little bit of an update for who's coming up next. So we have Akela World. They're on Instagram like that. Uh, and this family of three has been overlanding from Europe to, they started in Europe and their plan is to go around the world. They're about three years in and we met them when they first arrived in the southwestern corner of the United States. So they've got an amazing story, they've got an amazing vehicle, and they've just been through it all across, I don't know, 50 or 60 countries so far and really have a just a realistic perspective on what it takes to be able to live this lifestyle. It's, it's no vacation and, you know, I think it will really ground maybe a lot of you listening wondering if this lifestyle is for you. So make sure to tune back next week to hear a Kayla world and uh, stay safe out there this week or in there wherever, wherever you are social distancing. And um, yeah, just let us know if you have any questions, you can hit us up on Instagram where we'll be posting stories about our guests and just let us know if you have um, any questions at all. If you feel like it, please consider leaving us a review or a rating over at Apple Podcasts and share with a friend. And last, big shout out to Mercedes Riva and Tomas Tyrell. Mechi does our sound design and editing, and Tomas does our music. So thank you guys. Um, stay tuned next week. Adios.